Combating extremism has become a central ambition of the Sufi Muslim Council. Haras Rafiq. Radicalisation, extremism within the Muslim community is nothing new. We know it's been here for at least 200 years. As Sufis, we've been fighting this for 200 years internally. There is a struggle going on for the very soul of Islam, which is having an impact on everybody else. So that's something we really have to understand. In terms of how we're combating it, we really are taking templates, we're really taking activities, functions, skills that Sufis have been using for 200 years to combat that. And I'll give you an example of some of these. The first thing one has to do is to recognise the first signs of how somebody's being radicalised. A friend of mine's son went to university to study medicine. Second year at medicine, he came home and decided that he wasn't going to eat any of the food that his father was putting on the table because he felt his father was an apostate and a heretic because his father was celebrating the Prophet upon his birthday. So recognising these signs are important. So first of all, we help to recognise. Then we deliver the spiritual essence of Islam. Things like the dhikr, things like the artistic side, things like the spiritual version, things like going back to the original translations and interpretations of of the Qur'an and hadith. Things like getting people happy rather than angry. The Prophet, peace upon him, said the lowest form of charity is a smile. He never said make somebody sad. He never said go and attack people for no reason. So really it's focusing on the spiritual aspects, taking the best practices that we've had over the last couple of hundred years and delivering them through the network of institutions that we have already. And I think that one of the biggest problems facing the Muslim community is to not become too introverted and not to become victims. And by becoming introverted and by becoming victims, help to give people who don't understand Islam, people who don't like Muslims, because there are people who are extremists on the other side, more ammunition against us. So I think the whole concept around social cohesion, the whole concept about being positive members of society, practicing Islam and not being anti-West and not being anti-anybody and really reaching that spiritual level of, of being at ease with one's faith. Because let's look at what the word Islam means. And there are different translations and interpretations, but the one that's most common is to surrender to one deity and attain inner peace. And that inner peace is something that I think if we're not careful, we're going to lose out in the UK. That fear sharpens the need for good interfaith relations at leadership and grassroots levels. Phil Lewis. Take Christian-Muslim relations. For 30 years, the mainstream churches have had people like me, interfaith advisors, helping them relate to the other communities, whoever those other communities were. And I think over that time, say a bishop or whatever church leader you have in a given area has developed levels of trust with what one might call the Muslim leadership at a city level. And that's important. It's important to be seen to be relating to Muslim leaders, political and religious and business leaders. But I think there's been a level of frustration in that that relationship doesn't reach down into the community. And one of the problems has been mosque personnel, imams, who neither had the training didn't understand English, had been imported, so to say, from somewhere else, and were not expected by the mosque committee to have a public and civic role. Again, we often assume the imam of a mosque is rather like an Anglican vicar, has a public and civic role. Generally, he does not. He's paid simply to teach children and to preach. And therefore, there was a level of expectation among local clergy that they would knock at the mosque door and they'd find, so to say, a Muslim vicar 
who would share their concerns for wider society, work together on issues of the common good, prostitution, juvenile delinquency, drugs. But that hasn't happened, or at least until very recently. Now, it's beginning to change. And one precondition are imams who are trained in Britain. But that of itself, I don't think, is a sufficient factor. What we're finding are the people who do understand the concerns of local clergy are imams who have moved out of a Muslim enclave and have become hospital chaplains, prison chaplains, or RE teachers, for instance, to give three examples of local people I know. All of these three men have developed new social and intellectual skills to relate to wider society. So they are natural allies. They understand the concerns Christian clergy have. So I think there is now a window of opportunity at a local level to begin to relate. And I think there's some very, very productive developments nationally. In January of 2006, the Christian Muslim Forum was launched at Lambeth Palace. Rowan Williams is the founder patron of that. And it came after a four-year process of research by Muslims and Christians whether there was a need for a national body. And they visited a whole series of British cities talking to Christians, Muslims, policymakers. Out of that extended research, there was a broad agreement there was a need for a national body. That national body is focusing not so much on theological exchange but enabling practical collaboration at city level. So they have six working parties, a Christian and a Muslim, and they'll be addressing issues of media, public policy, education, youth. And the aim is to, as it were, to kick-start or to deepen local patterns of collaboration. So recently, 30, 40 young imams met with 30 or 40 Christians in a residential, the first residential there's been in Britain with clergy and imams. So that's where a national body can kick-start a national initiative which can strengthen the local. So to that extent, I think we're moving into a new phase of interfaith relations where it's, it's no longer simply at a city level or a national level, which is important enough symbolically and practically, but in a way the test case now for interfaith relations, Christian-Muslim relations, will be their success in being embedded in localities. And I'm cautiously optimistic that shift is taking place. But while Tariq Ramadan sees good work going on at the grassroots... He has reservations about the emergence of a tier of interfaith specialists. They are travelling from one conference to another, speaking about you know, common values, Christianity and Islam and Judaism and Buddhism, and they come back and there is nothing said to their community. It's just it's useless. It's not going to work like that. It's really something which is a business, in fact, you know, far from the reality. And we have to come to something which are conditions, true conditions for interfaith dialogue. And the first one is we need to come to a better understanding of our respective texts. And second is, and it's also something which is important to improve the situation, is not for the Muslims to say what the Christians believe or not for the Christians to say what the Muslims believe. You can read the texts of the other, but you have to listen to what the others have to say about their own text and the way they understand that. And it should not only be a dialogue, it should be working together. What we need now is 
Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, because atheists and secularists should be part of this interfaith dialogue. You know, they are part of the production of values in our society, so they should be involved. And if we want to reach the people and to understand how much we have in common, let us come to very practical things like this one. Like, you know, for example, forced marriages. Muslims should say, but they have to come together to have a very strong public voice just to say, we don't accept that altogether. So common commitment to our values and our ethics, and this has to be visible, not, you know, among specialists far from the realities of our societies. Insofar as Western societies can acknowledge and affirm their Christian heritage, they will be able to engage with Islam. Finally, I asked Phil Lewis how the form that secularism takes can make a big difference to how easily Muslims can settle into Western societies. Baha'i's secular stance historically is France, Belgium, Holland, which basically excludes or seeks to exclude religion from public and civic life. You have basically a powerful centralised state is only willing to do business with the individual citizen and notionally doesn't want intermediate bodies between the citizen and the state, and therefore wants to privatise religion. In that context, Islam, as indeed Christianity, is not a private religion. It has community and civic implications. So there's endless potential for conflict there. If we take the English situation, which is not a pure sort of soft secularism by any means, but a soft secular does not want to privilege any one religion, but nor to disadvantage religious traditions... Now, many would say because English society has learned to cope with its own Christian diversity, unlike France never really had Christian diversity as a powerful Catholic church, Britain has always had significant Christian diversity, Catholic and free churches. And therefore, insofar as Christianity in Britain has come to terms with its own internal diversity, it has far less problems as church or state in coping with religious otherness. So I think any society which is at ease with its own Christian heritage is going to make a reasonable stab at incorporating Muslims. If you have a doctrinaire secularism, a hard secular ideology, that's going to produce enormous difficulties for the Muslim communities being incorporated in those states.